Well, next week, uh, we kick off our um, 1045 Bible study that you guys helped create. You guys helped write by turning in your questions, and it's, it's not too late to turn in a question, uh, but uh, these questions have been, you know, I've always had a question about the Bible in this regards, or question about God, or Jesus, or you know, anything like that. And so we've put together this list of questions and our teaching team starting at 1045 next week for the next four to six weeks, they'll kind of tackle two to three questions each Sunday. And, it, and, it's, and it's critical that we know about the Bible, that we be able to expand our knowledge of what the word says, and that will, it, that will deepen our devotion and our love for who he is and what he's done for us. And so I want to encourage you to go to that. It means come to 930 and um, grab a cup of coffee or a, a glass of tea and head down to the to that class and it'll be over with about the same time we're over or with here at 1045. So so there's that. That starts next week. So we've been walking through the book of John. We started last Christmas. We'll be done with it right before our Advent series this year. Uh, and we're walking through the book of John looking at the life of Jesus and the life that he calls us to as his followers. And that word followers, it's, uh, it's uh, you know, disciples or students. It's the word methetes in the Greek. And uh, this Greek word, it has this word picture behind it that when anybody heard this word, they would immediately think of a student walking so closely behind their, their teacher that they would be literally covered in the dust of their sandals. And so we've been looking at this life that, that we're called to. And when we place our faith in Jesus as our Savior, that there's this radical change that takes place in us. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning is this, this radical change that, that, that we go from being dead spiritually to being alive spiritually. Um, we become, um, our, our sin debt has been wiped clean when we put our faith in Jesus. Uh, we become the adopted sons and daughters of God, and we also be, are his beloved. And I, and I know, you know, we don't get a whole lot of beloved in, in our culture, but beloved, we've talked about this, is that it means that you and I are deeply and richly and freely, completely, unconditionally loved by our Heavenly Father. So that's, that's what happens when we put our faith in, in, in Jesus. And Jesus says in chapter 15, because that's kind of where we are now, that I am the vine and you are the branches. Uh, in other words, that his life becomes so intertwined with us with our lives, that, that it, it, it changes the way we approach life and death. Uh, it, it, it changes the way that we view duty versus devotion. It changes the way that we look upon uh, identity and insecurity. That, that it changes, radically changes this, this love of Jesus and his life intertwining with ours. It radically changes the way we see other people, the way we treat other people, the way we serve other people, the way we love other people. Now, as we do this, as we're going to see today, that Jesus tells us that there are gonna some, there's going to be some people that, that haven't put their faith in Jesus, that they're going to think we're odd. Uh, they're going to think it, we're weird. We're, it's going to be awkward. Some will not like us. Some will hate us. And in some parts of the world, our brothers and sisters in Christ lose their lives for their faith in Jesus. But what Jesus is trying to communicate through this section of John is, is that following Jesus, Christianity is so much more than a lifestyle. 
And here at the end of our service, we're going to celebrate baptism of some people who have already put their faith in Jesus. And, you know, my prayer for them and my prayer for us all week is that we would understand that when we choose to follow Jesus, we're not just signing up just for a lifestyle, but there's a, there's a shift in our hearts that there, there's a change in, in our nature and who we are, but there's also a change in citizenship, which means that this world is no longer our home. And that's where the rub is for Christians in the world. Christians in our culture, Christians in those who have not put their faith in Jesus, that there's this tension, there's this rub, there's this, um, there, there's this conflict that, that goes on. And so today we're going to talk about that and we're going to talk about three categories that in a sense define our relationship between those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus not because of our activity, but because of our faith in Jesus and, and the world. And so three categories. Let me just give them to you up front, and then we'll unpack them as we go along. But when we put our faith in Jesus, there's this interest, interesting dynamic between us and the world. And there's a radical conflict, there's a radical change, and there's a radical challenge that all of us have the opportunity to be a part of. So if you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 15 this morning. John chapter 15, if you didn't bring your Bibles, we'll put it up on the screen for you, or you can pull it up on your phone. But um, John chapter 15, and Jesus talks about this, this dynamic of our relationship between those who follow Christ and culture, those who follow Christ and the world. And the first thing we're going to unpack is this radical conflict between Christians and the world. So let's start in verse 18 says, if Jesus is talking to his disciples, okay, they're, they're making their way at night to the Garden of Gethsemane. They're probably in a vineyard because he just said, I'm the vine and you are the branches. And apart from me, you can't do anything. But if you abide in me, if you remain in me, you'll bear much fruit. In other words, you'll become more joyful and more patient and more kind and more gentle and more loving and more self-controlled. That's the fruit. And he says, if the world hates you, Keep in mind that it hated me first. So have you, ever, have you ever felt like, you know, because of your faith in Jesus that, that you were kind of rejected at school or rejected at work or rejected in your family, that you're the only one who, who gets up on Sunday mornings and comes to church and there's this rejection, there's tension here, and that's Jesus telling us, hey, I don't want you to be caught off guard by this, but the world's going to hate you because it hated me. Now, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, the Apostle Paul, he's writing to this first century church. And, and they're trying to get this movement off the ground, okay? They're trying to take the message of Jesus into other cities. And so they, re, you know, they get this letter from Paul. And so the, you know, the leader of the church stands up to, to, read this, uh, to read this letter. And they all, you know, they're all in this living room. And they all have their notepads out. And they're taking notes. And the Apostle Paul, he writes this in 2 Timothy chapter 3. He says to this, to this small little church that they're, you know, they're risking their lives. And he says, you know, to everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus. You know, and everybody, they're in the, they're in the living room. They're all crowded around. And they're like, okay, yeah, that's us. That's why we're here, okay? So we want to live a godly life. And, you know, so the, the guy, he's reading the, you know, Timothy's reading the letter. And he goes to everyone who wants to, you know, uh, live a godly life for Christ. And, 
you know, they're getting excited and, you know, there's a dramatic pause from the preacher. You know, everybody's leaning in because they're thinking, okay, yeah, he's going to tell us something really good. I'm going to write this down. I bet you he's going to say blessed. He's going to say blessed, right? He's going to say everybody who wants to live a godly life for Christ Jesus, they're going to be blessed. Hashtag blessed. Oh, that's a good one. Let's start that one. Hashtag blessed, you know. So they go around all over the city writing hashtag blessed. Nobody knows what it means, but we will 2,000 years later. Um, or they're all leaning forward and they say, oh, I bet he's going to say wealthy, right? He's going to say wealthy. He's going to say successful. I bet he's going to say everyone who follows, you know, wants to live a godly life for Christ Jesus, that they're going to be influential and powerful in society. And so they're all leaning forward and Timothy gets up there and he says, everyone who wants to live a godly life for Christ Jesus, they're all leaning forward. Yeah, yeah, what is it, what is it? He says, will be persecuted. They all look up. Like, did, did he say persecuted? I mean, uh, no, that's not what I came here for. No, no, no. Yeah. So, but, but Paul tells us, hey, if we're going to live this life, if we're going to have our lives intertwined with the life of Christ, we will be persecuted. That if we want to live this life for Christ, that eventually the people that, that have not put their faith in Christ, eventually culture, the people that we work with and live with and, and, and go to school with and play ball with, eventually those people who have not put their, life, their faith in Jesus Christ, who have not experienced the love of Christ, eventually in some form or fashion, at some level, they will go tired of us and they will make our lives difficult. You may get passed up for a promotion. You may not get invited to the party. You may not be asked out. You may be left out. You may be rejected. Eventually, they will, we will be rejected because of our faith in Christ. Now, there's three reasons why, why, why the world rejects Christians and don't understand Christians. Let me just give them to you, okay? Number one, the first reason why the world doesn't understand those of us who have put our faith in Christ is because the teachings of Jesus. It's the teachings and authority of Jesus. Look at verses 19 and 20. Jesus says, If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. But as it is, you do not belong to the world. Underline that. Highlight that. Remember that. You do not belong to the world. And that is why the world hates you. That's the reason why you're left out. That's the reason why you're betrayed. That's the reason why you're talked about. That's the reason why you're being passed up. The world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. And if they persecuted me, hello, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they would obey yours also. You see, the, the world is pretty committed um, to rejecting the teachings and authority of Jesus. And it always has been. You see, back in this first century day when the Jewish people would go to synagogue, somebody would stand up and, and they would deliver a, a sermon, a teaching. And at the end of that, the elders of the synagogue would convey and determine if they agree with what this person said. And if they agreed, they would say, amen, amen, which meant it is true, it is true. But when we read in the Gospels, Jesus standing up to teach in the synagogue, he would begin his statement before he started teaching. He would begin, amen, amen. He would begin with, it is true, it is true. He would begin with, truly, I tell you. And because he was taking away their opportunity to judge if what he was saying was right or wrong. Because what Jesus would say when he would stand up in the synagogue, he would say, I am God. 
I am God in the flesh and I have a truth that is not of this world. And they hated him for that. And the reason why the the culture, the reason why the world has such a hard time with the teachings and authority of Jesus is because the world says that there is no such, such thing as absolute truth. In other words, the world says, well, you know, as long as a person is a good person and does a lot of good things, then surely they'll get to heaven. Or the world says, well, you know, all religions are kind of the same and they all lead to the same place. You just got to pick one. The world says, you know, all gods are the same God and just, you know, just, you know, choose your path and, and, and do perform well. The world says, well, what's right for you may not be right for me. The only problem is who gets to determine what right is. And as followers, as students, as disciples, as methetes being covered in the dust of Jesus' sandals. We have to come to the point in our faith, and it doesn't, it doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen in day one. It may not happen in year 40, but there's progression. That Christianity is not about perfection. It's about progression. But that we do get to the point where we can say, hey, the word of God, it is absolute truth, period. And it is going to, in my life, it is going to outweigh my feelings. Because sometimes our feelings outweigh God's word. To say, okay, God's word, because it's absolute truth, it's going to outweigh my circumstances. It's going to outweigh popular opinion. It's going to outweigh what the world says. This is absolute truth, period. And here's the deal. Not just people outside the church, but us inside the church, my life. We've got to get to the point that we stop picking and choosing what we believe and what we don't believe and what's outdated and what's dated. It's either all true or none of it's true. And if we're going to pick and choose, well, then, then, then none of it's really true. Let me, let's just go and live however we want to do. But that's not true. This is absolute truth, period. And the world hates that. Second reason why the world doesn't understand Christians and persecutes Christians is we do not belong to the world. We do not belong to the world, meaning that this world is no longer our home. We're visiting. We're short-timers. That our time here on this earth is about that long in comparison to eternity. Some are longer, some are shorter. But eternity, heaven, becomes our home. And because we won't pledge our allegiance to our company or the firm or our friends or our political parties or our race or, or, or our sociological class, whatever it is, uh, our economic class, whatever, we won't, we won't do that because... And first and foremost, our allegiance, our loyalty, our love is to God because we belong to him. That we are his, exclusively his. And as a result, there's going to be people who will not trust us, who will not like us, who will hate us. And in some areas of the world, you have a decision to make. Either, either deny God or it's going to cost you your life. And so, the, we do not belong to the world. And the third reason why the world doesn't understand Christians and persecute Christians is because Christians know the cure for the soul's deepest wounds. Now, for those of us that are in the room that, that have put our faith in Christ, do you remember what you had to do, what, however age you were, maybe 10, maybe 15, maybe 45, 
But to become a Christian, we had to admit that we're weak. We had to admit that we needed help. We had to admit that we're not good enough even on our best day. We have have to admit that we're in a hopeless situation because of our own choosing, because of our sin. And who wants to do that? But in order to go from being dead spiritually to being alive spiritually, we have to admit that we need Jesus' help. And Jesus, he says that, that, that not only are we the light of the world, but we're the salt of the world. And think about just the functionality of salt. I mean, salt in this day, it was a, it was a preserver. It preserved meat. Uh, salt is a taste enhancer. But salt also cleanses wounds. And when you put salt on a wound, guess what? It's not going to sting, and not a little bit. It's going to sting a lot. But it cleanses the wound. And when the gospel, when it hits our hearts for the first time, it stings because we're starting to realize we need help. We're weak. We're sinful. We're in a hopeless situation. Look at verses 21 through 25. Jesus says, they they will treat you this way because of my name. it's It's nothing you did. It's because of me they're treating you this way. And for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. And whoever hates me hates my father as well. And if, you had not, if I had nothing to do with them, the, the works no one else did, they, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they, they, have been, they have seen. And yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in the law. They hated me for no reason. See, we need to remember that when we're betrayed, when we're persecuted for our faith, when we're left out, when we're talked about, when we're passed over, it's done because they, they, the world culture hates Jesus. They're just going to hate us. And I'm not talking about every friend that we have that's not a believer, but culture in large is in opposition to Christianity And that's the conflict, that's the hostility, and it's just a part of life. Now, we live in a Western society and we don't feel it as much, but there is a day coming that we will feel it. We may not feel it like our brothers in in other parts of the world where it is illegal to be a Christian, but we may feel it other ways. And so there's this radical conflict. Um, There's this radical conflict between Christians in the world. Secondly, is there's, there, there's a radical change that occurs in the hearts of Christians. That this, this radical change is really the, con, the, the catalyst of this radical conflict. You see, the, fir, the first reason why the world does not understand Christians is because of the love of Jesus. Because of the intense and limit, and we'll talk about this, the limitless love that Christ has for us. That the love between him and his followers will other people will see it, see it as exclusive, but it's, it's so inclusive. It's so, come, anybody who is thirsty, anybody needing, needing a doctor, come and be, be healed. That the love of Jesus it creates this radical change in us from the inside out. That the love of Jesus radically change every part, every dynamic about us. That it will radically change our view of money to the point where people don't understand it. That, that, will, that, that, that people will say, whoa, 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 maybe your accountant, maybe your CPA will be, whoa, 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 what, what, what do you mean you're giving 10% of your money away to the church and charity? 
Are you crazy? I mean, do you not realize we're in a recession? Do you not realize that? That's, that's crazy. That, that the love of Jesus impacts our hearts. It'll, it'll change our view of our political affiliation. And, and our friends will be like, well, what, what do you mean you're voting for this person? What do you mean that this issue is important? Because what the love of Jesus will do to us, it radically changes us. And all of a sudden, we will become too conservative for our liberal friends and too liberal for our conservative friends. The love of Jesus will change our view of forgiveness. That, that our friends will be like, whoa, what do you mean you just forgave them? Have you forgotten what they said about you just last week? Have you forgotten how they treated you? Have you forgotten how they rejected you? Have you forgotten how they treated you as they told you to pack up your office in, the, in, in a box and escorted you out? Have you forgotten? I mean, you gotta be tougher than that. We're not gonna get even, we're gonna get better. And like, that, that, that's not the way. That, 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 that I, I, Jesus loves me and I love him. That's not his way. It's going to radically change the way we view purity. And they're going to be friends. They're going to be like, what do you mean you didn't hook up with her? What do you mean you didn't? This is like your third date. What, what do you mean you didn't hook up with him? And the love of Jesus just begins to change us from the inside out. It's this radical change. That happens in our hearts when we begin to realize we are his beloved. That he loves us and his love is limitless. When we get that in our hearts and our minds, it changes everything. And then the third dynamic is that there is a radical challenge to enter into the world to declare and display the freeing power of the gospel. That, that, that's our mission statement. That, that's why we exist as a church. We're, we're not here to modify behavior. That's, that's, that's the Holy Spirit's job is to change from the inside out. We're not here to be busy about religious activities. We are here to declare with our mouths, with our words, and display with our actions the freeing power of the gospel. And when I say gospel, what I'm talking about is that Jesus is the Son of God, and he came and he lived the life that we cannot live. That's this absolute truth standard. He lived it perfectly. He lived the life we can't live, and he died the death that every single one of us deserve to die because of our sin. But when we put our faith in him, there's an exchange that happens. And he, on the cross, he, he gets the curse for all of our disobedience. And, and when we put our faith in him, it, his blessing for all of his obedience is transferred to us. That we go from being dead to being alive spiritually. That's what happens. And so that's the message that we want to take out and declare in display with our mouths and with our lives. Look at verses 20, 26. He says, when the advocate comes, and that's the Holy Spirit. We talked about him a couple weeks ago. When the advocate comes, who I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify for you have been with me from the beginning. And all of this I have told you so that you will not fall away. And they will put you out of the synagogue. And, and what that meant in this Jewish culture, when you were put out of the synagogue, you and your family were no longer allowed to come 
to synagogue. You were no longer allowed to worship in the synagogue. Not only that, but they would put you on a list and, and, and the people in, in the synagogue, the people in the Jewish community, they would not do business at your shop. You would lose any kind of health care that, that the synagogue provided, any kind of medical attention, any kind of uh, um, uh, benevolence help that your family may need, you are ineligible for that. That's what it meant to be put out of the synagogue. And when somebody put their faith in Jesus, you're out. You are no longer one of us. He says, they will put you out of synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. And they will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. And I've told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you. And Jesus tells us to go out and tell other people about the life he lived and the love that he has for us. That every Christian we know, every Christian, every person who's put their faith in Jesus, we know that we were once in a hopeless position because of our sin. We know that we needed help. And it's through our faith in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. It's through our faith in what God has done for us in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Not what we can do for him that we are saved, that we have that we have forgiveness of sin. And we have been freed from the penalty of sin. And as a result, because God didn't write us off, we don't need to write anybody else off. So who has God put around you? Acts chapter 17 says, God determines the times and places where men should live. That includes where you go to school. It's no accident you're in that first period class with that person that sits beside you. God ordained that. It's no accident that you work with this certain person, that they're in the office beside you. God ordained that. It's no accident that, that you live across the street from these people. It's no accident. Who are those people around us that we need to be the salt for them? We need to shed the light, expose them to the light and the love of Jesus Christ. That's the great adventure that we get to be a part of. You say, yeah, but it's going to be awkward and You know, what if they reject us? What if they say no? What if they don't like us? What if they think we're weird? You know what? They probably will. But you know, Jesus will be right there with us. He's even right there in the middle when our brothers and sisters in other countries are killed for their faith. He's right there with them. Because the results, they're not up to us. It's up to him. We just get invited in this adventure. The band's going to come, and they're going to lead us in a song. But I started thinking about this concept, and why is it so weird for us to, to go out and share with people the greatest thing that's ever happened to us? It, you know, getting to experience the love of Jesus and putting our faith in him. Why is it so weird? So I had this thought in the middle of this football game last week. Because it all comes down to football. Am I right, ladies? I mean, I mean... So, so, I, so I, I grew up a Texas Longhorn fan. Oh, okay. Security, can I? Uh... Okay, hang on, I'll get there, hang on. Um, I, my oldest son is named Major after Major Applewhite. 
I desperately tried to name my next two Royal after Daryl K. Royal, but I was vetoed because we have a major and a Royal pain in the family. But my daughter is a senior and we're looking at colleges and A&M is one of those colleges. Yeah. So we went down to A&M last week and, uh, and I would be delighted. If she chose A&M, I'd be so excited. Now she has to pay for it on her own, but I would be so excited. Um, yeah, <laughs> Take, we're gonna pass those offering buckets now. Uh, no, I would be delighted. I think it's a great school, I really do. But you know, leading up to our visit, we went down there with the, some other friends and did the whole tour and, and we were all in, we were all in. I mean, we went to yell practice. I don't get it, but we went. Uh, man, we, you know, we went to, we walked seven miles on our tour. It's a big campus. Went to the game. But leading up to that week, every Aggie I know reached out to me. And every Aggie I know reached out to me. And they weren't, they weren't giving me a hard time about a Longhorn going down to College Station. But every text message, every phone call was like, hey, hey. Um, when you go to yell practice, park in this parking lot because it's the shortest walk. Or, or if, if you got to, you know, if after yell practice, go eat at this taco place. Or in the morning, go eat at this breakfast taco place. Or hey, before the game, uh, go tailgate here or go to this bar and, and, you know, you can watch the Longhorn game and, uh, you know, and then you can walk over to the stadium and oh, before the game, park over here because it's not that big of a walk, but it's on the other side. And when you get to your car, traffic will be cleared out and you can get home quicker. But every suggestion was motivated by their experience that they had. Every suggestion was motivated by their love for their university and how it changed their lives. It enriched their lives. And every suggestion was motivated by their love for me. They wanted me to enjoy and see and experience what they enjoyed and in, in experienced. And I'm thinking in the middle of the game, as all this is coming to, why can't telling other people about Jesus be just like that? That my heart, my life has been radically changed by the love of Jesus. And because I love my neighbor, because I love my uncle, because I love my classmate, I want them to also experience it. And I'm just gonna share my story. This is how Jesus changed me. And I, I, I once thought it was all about religion and what I could do for him. And on the days that I did really well, I thought he loved me so much and I deserved the blessing and a good life. And on the days that there were a lot of days, to be honest with you, I was not very good at the religious activity. And I thought God hated me and he was ready to crush me. And my whole religious relationship with God was like that for so long until I found and discovered the gospel. And that all the love and all the acceptance and all the approval and all the significance that I need is found in who Jesus is and what he's done for me. So why does that have to be weird? So that's where we're at. We have an incredible opportunity, an invitation on this great adventure to go and tell other people 
about him. And that's what this, this baptism is about. And we'll get to that in just a moment.